So as we uh, established earlier, your your main focus has been God and time. Um, yeah. Uh, well, is, is that fair to say? Well, I've, I've done some work on that. I wrote my dissertation okay. on that. And um, I haven't done work on it in a while. I mean, it still comes up in my classes. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. a fun topic. Definitely. Um, so I... Uh, <laughs> It's a big question, um, but I hope I hope you'll indulge me. Um, what is time, and is it physical? Is it physical? Okay, first, what is time? I I like Aristotle's answer. He said something like this in in his book, The Physics: Time is the measure of motion regarding before and after. Mm -hmm. Now, for Aristotle, motion um, covered any kind of change. It wasn't just moving through space. So time is the measure of change with respect to before and after. And, and that's a good, pretty good analysis, you know, um, and, and it doesn't answer any of the questions like, is time physical? Is it real? Um, is it an illusion? Um, how is time structured? And all of these kinds of things. Right. Um, is time physical? I guess I would say, I guess I might say something like this. I think there is a thing called physical time. Time in physics has, um, you know, certain structure. And of course, a lot of work was done on this in the 20th century, early 20th century with the relativity theory, special theory of relativity, um, where Einstein noticed that the speed of light is constant. That's the upper limit for speed. Therefore, there's no way to measure um, simultaneity of events um, unless you're measuring them relative to a reference frame. So there's no absolute simultaneity simultaneity is relative to reference frames. And I'm sure as I talk about this, I'm going to get some of the words wrong. <laughs> I'm going to get some of the concepts wrong. And, and so this led to Minkowski's positing space-time. Time is a fourth dimension of space. Um, I, I think that can be helpful for some kinds of analysis, but but it's clear that time is very different from space, mm -hmm. right? You know, in time, there's a privileged direction, mm -hmm. right? The future has not happened and the past already has happened. And that's just the way it is with time. Whereas in a, in a three-dimensional spatial um, structure, there's no privileged direction. You can go up, down, backwards, frontwards, mm -hmm. and this kind of thing. Um, so while there are great analogies between time and space, I'm hesitant to say that space or time is literally a fourth dimension, just like height and breadth and depth. Okay. Um, and to be honest, I don't think the physicists meant it as literal that okay. way. I hope they don't because they're smarter than that. Um, um, so, but, but there's certainly... Time, time plays a role in many of our physical theories. Mm -hmm. You know, right. acceleration, you know, and, and of course, force gets analyzed as mass times acceleration in Newtonian physics. 
and and you know a lot of our equations to describe interactions have time in them whether mm -hmm. time itself is physical i don't know one of, one of the big questions is is time necessary mm -hmm. um, or is it contingent and um if it's contingent, then if you're a theist, you, you can think that God created time. Mm -hmm. And God was not temporal um, and he created time. And, and most philosophers who take this route think that God is outside time. Now, some like Bill Craig think when God created the physical universe, he, and this isn't the right way to say it, he became temporal. Mm -hmm. right? So Bill says it this way, God is is outside of time without creation but with creation is temporal he doesn't want to say before time because there really is no literal before time right. um and um and and that's another view most christian philosophers think god is in some sense temporal and then working all of that out becomes quite the challenge yeah um, I argued, I, I, I put forward an argument that God was atemporal for my dissertation. And I still like my argument. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that God is atemporal. Okay. Um, you would think I'd have a settled view on it after so many years. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so difficult. No one, no one probably, probably does if they're honest. Um, but as I understand it, um, we would call uh, the people who hold to the existence of time as independent of, of uh, our experience, mm -hmm. we would call those atheists. Whereas um, B theorists would say that this, uh, the, what we would call the now, yeah. the immediate present, is actually just an experience of right of our consciousness um i hope all that's right yeah that's uh, a good way to say it mm -hmm. okay um do, do you think that that would add um or that would help in this in saying whether or not time is physical or not um i don't know if the time is physical question um prefers fits better with the a theory or the b theory um the, i guess the b theory um i mean I, we have to make a distinction between the now and time because the b theory believes time is ob objective and it exists mm -hmm. mind independently it's just that the now is a relation to consciousness or something like that. Whereas the A theory believes that time exists independently. Um, but the now is objective. So if no, if there were no minds, there would still be a fact about what's happening now. Um, whereas the B theory tends to think, look, if there are no minds, um, there, there is a temporal structure and of events occur before and after one another, but there's no independent fact of the matter about what's happening now. Um, okay. So, so both views take 
an objective view of time, but mm -hmm. it, the phenomenal, it, the uh, the now is something that comes down to like phenomenology, and that's the, and that's yes. the disagreement between the two. That's that's one of the major disagreements. That's one way to get at it. Okay. You know, it has to do with what's what's prime. So so both. Now, I have I have. Um, well, I'll say it this way: both the A theorists and the B theorists. Um, the A theory uses a vocabulary of um, past, present, and future. But they and the B theory tends to use the vocabulary of before, after, and simultaneous. Right. And and one way to say it is the disagreement about which is about which vocabulary is more fundamental and captures the reality of time better. Now, both mm -hmm. the A theorist and the B theorist will will use all of the vocabulary. So the A theorist also talks about before, after, and simultaneous, mm -hmm. and the B theorist also talks about past, present, and future. It, it's just that what's present is what's one way to say it is what's simultaneous with a conscious state. Now, there are distinctions in the B theory here. Um, some, there's what's called the new B theory, which, which began to, I mean, really was hot in the discussion in the 80s. Um, there's, a, there's a fine collection of essays edited by, I think it's Oaklander and Quentin Smith on the new B theory or the new theory of time it's called. Um, and, and, and this is much less reducing it to consciousness, the present. It's much more that, that our language about time refers directly to times. And, and, and this is motivated by Kripke's naming and necessity, his direct reference theory of proper names and, mm -hmm. and like this. Um, which has its roots in John Stuart Mill's system of study of logic, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's not entirely original with Kripke and Ruth Marcus, um, who also did work on this. Um, and and so the B the new B theorist says when I say today is Friday, my use of the word today on this occasion refers directly to a time and the sentence is true or false depending on whether the time lands on Friday or not. Um, just like if I say you are interviewing me, my use of the word you refers directly to Riley Bounds. Mm -hmm. and, and, but the word you, just like the word today, refers to different things on different uses. It's, mm -hmm. it's called an indexical term. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's a lot of work on indexical terms that um, is independent of the questions about time. But the new B theorist takes the, these direct reference theories of indexicality and applies them to the present and things like this. I see. Yeah, that, that's actually very helpful because in reading about that, um, I, I, would, I would see the terms before, after, now, and so on and so forth used by the, the B theorists. And mm -hmm. if, if I'd under, I thought if I understood them correctly about this being mostly phenomenological, I was just like, well, I mean, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense if you can use that term. Um, because I inherent in before means that it, it, something came prior yeah. to 
now, yeah. you know, which which would be something objective. But now now I, I see more uh, the context there. Yeah. So, so the B theorist thinks these relations are objective. Right. So my mm-hmm. birth comes before our conversation and that relation stands. You know, that that was true for George Washington, not that he thought about our conversation. Mm-hmm. And and that'll be true for your great grandchildren, if you have some that that my birth is before our conversation, that relation doesn't change. Um, and it's objective. Now, the atheist believes all those things, but he just thinks the atheist thinks there's something in addition. And that's mm-hmm. objectively what's happening now. And the past can't, you know, what's a, what's past is not a relation to our consciousness or to the moment we pick out by direct reference. Right. Um, I, I think you described it um, in the beginning of God and time. Um, I think you described it. Uh, the main difference between the two is that B theorists think this is a matter of relations. Yes. Right. Uh, whereas the atheists, um, how, how would you how would you put the difference there? Um, the the more fundamental thing for the atheists is not relations is is the objective reality, mind independent fact about what's happening now. Okay. They don't deny that there are these relations, mm-hmm. but but what's most fundamental about time is the fact of what's happening now, and from this fact we can infer you know, the relations, what happened before, what ha- what's coming after, and this kind of thing. Right. Okay. Um, so now let, let's get a bit into the difficulties and the advantages of each view. Uh, so namely, starting off, um, if God is temporal, like the atheist says, mm-hmm. can he have, or how can he have foreknowledge? Yeah. And, and, and I, I want to back up a tiny bit sure. and, and say, um, there are there are some people who think that God being atemporal is also consistent with the A theory. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people don't think this, like Bill Hasker, Bill Craig, and and it, and the A theory plays a big role in their views. Um, I I think it is compatible. Um, I'm not sure I can make it clear how it's compatible. <laughs> I do like. Um, uh, a philosopher at Rochester, Ed Waringa, has done some work on this that I think is um, good. Um, but um, in fact, one of the essays is in the Oxford book that Dave Woodruff and I edited, okay. Timelessness Out of Mind, which he named after a Bob Dylan album, Time Out of Mind. Oh, I was, I was just wondering about that. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, he's a real Dylan fan. Yeah. Um, and, um, but... But suppose God is temporal, to get to your main question, that means God experiences the now, and and some events are past as far as God's experience are concerned, and some are future. And the Mm -hmm. question is, can God know what's happening in the future? Now, traditionally, God is held to be able to know whatever can be known. So, the, so it's really a question of can future actions be known? Well, a lot of future or future events, a lot of future events are not problematic. So suppose, suppose there's a kind of determinism at work with physical systems, right? If, if 
the temperature of the piece of paper gets to 451 degrees, it bursts in the flame. Um, God can know that when it gets to 451, it will burst into flames because it's a law of nature. Those aren't the problematic ones. The problematic ones are, do human beings have the kind of freedom so that I can choose to do A or B, but if God knows 100 years ago I'm going to do B, it must be true that I'm going to do B, then I can't choose A, right? And, right. and this is the traditional problem of foreknowledge and free will. And it goes all the way back to, I mean, Augustine wrote about this hmm. in his book on free choice of the will. And um, even though Augustine thought God was outside time, he didn't use this to try to solve the problem. I don't think it occurred to him. Boethius yeah. was the first major thinker that um, applied God's atemporality to the foreknowledge question. And that's yeah. a little more than 100 years later. Um, um, but, okay, suppose God's in time. Now, there are... four or five main answers to this question. One is some people deny that God can know future free actions. And, and they're not denying that God is omniscient because they're saying that there's no fact to be known. God knows every fact. God knows everything that can be known. But until you do your free action, there is no true answer to the question, what are you going to do? And so, so it's not a compromise of God's knowledge um, to say that, that um, his foreknowledge is incompatible with your freedom. That tends to be called the open, open theism view. Um, people like Bill Hasker and John Sanders, um, Clark Pinnock had this view, um, quite, quite a few um, philosophers have this view. Um, another view is called simple foreknowledge view. David Hunt is famous for this. And, um, and that's the view that God can simply know, right? If it's true that you're going to choose A, God knows that you choose A, but you're still free. It's like God has a telescope looking down the timeline and he sees what you're going to choose. That's a rough metaphor. Um, a view that gets a lot of discussion is called Molinism or middle knowledge. And, and this is Bill Craig's view, although it's also widely held. Mm -hmm. And it's a very complicated view that God's foreknowledge of what you will freely do is dependent on the fact that God knows all of the counterfactuals of freedom that are true. And those are sentences like, if Riley goes to the supermarket, he's going to buy a big jar of peanut butter freely, right? God knows that that's true. And, and then it, he can prompt you to go to the supermarket and you'll freely buy the, the um, peanut butter. It's up to you that you buy it, but God just knows in this circumstance, you will do X. In this other circumstance, you will not do X. And, and that way, God can know what you're going to do because he knows what circumstances you'll be in without determining what you do. 
Now, mm-hmm. I, the the degree to which I oversimplified that is horrendous. Well, it's I'm very sure. complicated. I sometimes I I'm not even sure I understand it. Um, yeah. And then the other view is that is that human freedom is compatibilistic, which means it's compatible with determinism, that you can be free and God determines what you do at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very strongly held in the tradition. This is the view that Augustine came to. Um, it, something like this is the view of uh, the reformers. You know, when you think about Calvinism, uh, mm-hmm. it's very Augustinian. David Hume had a similar view, although his was not theistic. Um, and and most the majority of Christian philosophers are not compatibilist about freedom, right. but probably the majority of philosophers are. Mm. So it's very it's a very popular view. Mm. I I find compatibilism wanting because I don't think it's sufficient for moral responsibility. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. because, because the action, ha- my action has to be up to me for me right. to be responsible. If ultimately it's not up to me, I don't know how I can be responsible. I mean, that's just, that's exactly. a common view, but it's the view I hold. No, I mean, exactly. That, that's the way that we've um, par- uh, structured our justice system. Um, I mean, if there's a, if there's some form of coercion, then we get a lesser sentence, yeah. you know, when we when we murder somebody or something like that. Um, now, the, go ahead. the compatibilists are going to say, look, we're not talking about coercion, because coercion is when you do something against your will. Hmm. The compatibilists say, look, you're free if you do what you want to do. And if you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's a stronger view than just saying, look, even if some someone puts a gun to your head, you're responsible. Um, and, um, but if determinism is true, then what you want is determined. It's not up mm-hmm. to you. And so the outcome of your action is, is a function of, you know, the laws of nature right. you know, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to be up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to now the uh, the question of God being atemporal or temporal. Mm-hmm. Um, if if he's atemporal, then he would be static or unchanging. Um, right. Meaning that he wouldn't change through time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that case, how could he genuinely relate to us in time? Yeah, I, I think this is, uh, could be a tough question. You know, it, it comes down to what does it mean to have a genuine relationship? Mm-hmm. Does it have to be temporally, sequentially ordered? And um, the, you know, all of our human relationships, of course, are sequentially ordered. So it's easy to get the picture that this is what it means to have a, a significant relationship. If if God is is outside time, He doesn't have a sequential experience, um, but He experiences the whole temporal array in one eternal present. Mm-hmm. And so God can will from all eternity 
to answer the prayer, he knows you're going to pray. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so God's experience of your prayer is simultaneous using the word metaphorically because with his eternal decision to answer the prayer. And so he answers your prayer in response to, or because of your prayer and, and, Philosophers who think that God is outside time think that this is sufficient for personal relationship. And in my, uh, I, I can't remember if I said this in the Four Views book in the introduction or if it was in my Thinking About God book. Um, I tell the story of a parent whose child comes home from school and the parent knows he's going to ask for a peanut butter sandwich. Mm-hmm. And the parent makes the sandwich ahead of time, but in a sense does so in response to the request that's coming. Right. And, and if that kind of makes sense, then we can make sense out of God's eternal uh, relating across our temporal uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Now, now we, we've, we've already discussed um, uh ways to resolve the determinism there. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, I, I, I still, like, even in Molinism, I, I still face this hang-up with the idea of divine fatalism. Yeah. Um, me, meaning, not, not necessarily that God determines the outcome, but that it's still fated to happen. Um, and even And so I still run up against that and say, like, how can we still be free? In that sense, um, so. I I, un- I understand this sense. Now, fatalism is is a fuzzy term, um, and I tend to think of fatalism this way: it's kind of the view that whatever's going to happen is going to happen no matter what. And if that's true, then it's really not fatalism, because if 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 we have libertarian freedom whether it's Molinism or open theism, then, then, you know, next week you can say truly the reason I bought this big jar of peanut butter was I freely chose to. Right. So what explains the outcome is your free choice. Mm -hmm. Now, if God either through middle knowledge or simple foreknowledge knows that you're going to make that free choice, God's knowledge is not part of the explanation for why you bought the jar, right? It's still explained by your free choice. It's just that God knows that um, ahead of time, if God is temporal. Um, So I think, I think we can take some steps away from the worry about fatalism by, by, employing the concept of explanation what explains my action mm-hmm. now suppose suppose there's no god and some kind of physical determinism is true and human beings are completely determined right we're biochemical machines mm-hmm. um you know nobody believes in determinism anymore because of quantum theory but but um we used to believe in it or a lot of mm-hmm. people used to believe in it. and and what explains that the fact you bought the peanut butter, you can explain that in terms of what we're calling your choice, 
but your choice is explained by the chemistry of your brain and that's explained by the chemistry of your brain a day earlier and that's explained and so you're always postponing explanation but if you're a libertarian and let's say you're an agent theorist the series of explanation ends with your free choice what explains your free choice it's self-explanatory right and and i and i think when we go out but this way, we can see that a lot of these views, whether or not the details are going to work out, don't have to fold us into a kind of fatalism. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, and just as a final note on determinism, um, actually, I think the strongest argument that I've heard against determinism, whether it be natural or uh, theological, came from Craig. Uh, and he said that, if I can remember it right, um, there's a kind of dizzying thing about determinism where if you think you're determined to believe something, then, well, you would be determined to believe in determinism. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we can never really get at truth. Yeah. So, so I, I think that that'd be an epistemological concern. Um, do, do you think that's a good rebuttal? Yeah, I think so. I think it has to be developed a little bit, you know, um, Notice if you believe, let's just take, say, P, because philosophers like to say P. They believe mm -hmm. P, right? Um, you believe P, and the explanation is you're determined to believe P. Notice what does all the causal work is the biochemistry of your brain. Mm -hmm. And the content of P doesn't do any work, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and in philosophy of mind, it's, it's been... I mean, there's been a lot of views that try to relate the content of um, propositions to biochemistry, and, and most of this is not worked out. Um, so what does, the reason you believe P is a causal reason, whereas we want to say that rational belief is rational, not in view of causal reasons, but in in, in view of evidentiary reasons. Mm. We believe in response to evidence and that's what makes it reasonable. And I think Bill is getting at that. And right. um, I think that's right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and, and I think this is part of an, I think Plantinga has an essay on this about dualism in this book that Dean Zimmerman and Peter Van Inwagen edited called persons human and divine and um i always thought this was good and then i read it in plantinga and i was glad he thought of it um if if, if we're purely physical then our beliefs are explained causally and so what does all the work is biochemistry right. I, I i get up and go to the refrigerator because I want a bottle of seltzer water and I know it's in the fridge. Well, the content of that desire doesn't seem to play a role. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that seems deeply problematic to me. Definitely. But I, I think Bill is onto something.